Greetings. Pastor Jay O'Brien here from Scarlet City Church, and I'm coming to you from what a place in our building called the Luther Room. It was named this by North Community Lutheran Church, and they did it to honor the legacy of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a pivotal figure in church history, and uh, in a number of ways, of one of which in, is in uh, the year 1527, he wrote a letter uh, to a number of Christians and churches throughout the region titled, uh, How to Respond or When to Flee in a Deadly Plague. This was about 200 years after the uh, Black Plague that decimated Europe. And another plague was rising up in Wittenberg, Luther's hometown, and in the surrounding cities. And Christians wanted to know how to respond. Now, I find that question telling. Because followers of Jesus then knew that the response is not just to flee and protect themselves, but to be a follower of Jesus meant that we need to live in the tension of self-protection, but also the protection and flourishing of others. So Luther wrote about living in that tension. And Luther didn't come up with this. In fact, the church, the, in the first century, the church grew not because of amazing preaching. The church grew not because it had amazing music or buildings. The church grew because of their ability to enter into the pains of life to protect and care for the most vulnerable. Rodney Stark, a historian, he, he puts it this way. Speaking of the early church and its rise, his book, The Rise of Christianity, details how the church emerged. And, and he put it this way. He said, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. I love that. He's saying in a world that had a way of relating, Christianity enters into the scene, and it's, it's countercultural, it's new, it's different. And it's different in a way that it provided relief. It allowed for cities that were growing with people from different regions. And so there's conflict. It allowed for some of the new famines and, and, and plagues that were hitting urban communities. Christianity came in, and it was a blessing. And he puts it this way, he sums it up, talking about different relationships and ethnic division and poverty and orphans and widows and how Christians minister there. And then he, he sums it up this way at the end. He said, and cities faced with epidemics, fires, earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. At the core of our legacy of followers of Jesus is the capacity to creatively enter into our urban and social problems bringing relief. Friends, that mantle has been entrusted to us. This morning, I want us to look at how we live and lead in our present cultural crisis. At Scarlet City, we've been in a sermon series called Wilderness during this Lenten season, looking at well, how the wilderness and pains of life teach us what they teach us about flourishing. You know, it's interesting because Jesus, right before his public ministry, God brings him into the wilderness. He brings him into a 40-day time of pain and fasting where he experiences temptation. 
in Exodus, when God raises up Moses and delivers God's people from slavery in Egypt, they enter into 40 years in a wilderness because God is preparing Jesus and his people for ministry. He does it through pain. And so we've been asking, what lessons can we learn from the pains of life? And this morning, the lesson we want to look at is how to live and lead in the wilderness. If you have your Bible open to Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus 18, we find Moses, who God raised up to lead his people, having a reunion, a family reunion with Jethro, his father-in-law. And in this interaction we find a very incredible lesson about living and leading in the wilderness. And I just want to uh, uh, draw out three implications for us today. I want to be brief. Um, three implications for living, in the, living and leading in the wilderness from Exodus chapter 18. The first implication is this. God invites us to join his redemptive story. I want to challenge you to invest in a cause that's greater than your comfort. In Exodus 9, we see God raising up Moses, and it says this, But for this purpose I have raised you up, Moses, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In the region at the time, Egypt and Pharaoh were the dominant power, dominant name, and, and they shaped everything. And God's saying, I'm raising you up, Moses, so that not just you and not just you, my people, but the whole region, the whole earth would know my name and know the comfort and care that I can bring and provide. And then Moses reunites with, with Jethro. And, and in verse 1 of Exodus 18, it says this, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, he heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. You know, the word had gotten around the region. I imagine much like in Star Wars when the Death Star explodes and people all around the galaxy are, are celebrating the downfall of an oppressive regime. People all around the region are celebrating that God's people, that Yahweh, this, this God of the Israelites, had defeated Pharaoh, the most dominant and oppressive power at the time. And God did this by raising up a man, Moses. You know, Moses, he was not impressive by worldly standards. He doubted God. He was a man of, of, of poor speech. He was not very gifted. And he was flawed. He was a man who had, who had, incre who had done incredible sins. This reminds us that God, God does not work through the oppressive people. God does not work through the uber-gifted or the uber-eloquent or the people who have no pains in their past. Quite the contrary. God, he works through normal, ordinary, doubting people. I mean, look at who Jesus called. His disciples were ordinary fishermen. They were some of them were tax collectors. They were the people that society looked at and said, those are the least religious. <laughs> That's who Jesus called. And he still does today. I don't care what you've done, what your background is, God still can and wants to work through you today. 
Are you investing in a cause that's greater than your comfort? You know, the story continues, and we see that Moses, he joins God in his work, and he perseveres when it gets painful. The second lesson we can learn here is to persevere in the midst of hardship. To persevere, to keep going, to not quit when it's challenging and difficult and painful. In verse 7, Moses, he's meeting and he's, he's talking with Jethro and he's recounting all the events. It says this, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down, he kissed them, and they asked each other of their welfare. And then in verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. And he, and he qualifies it. He says, all the hardships that had come upon them. I just imagine Moses in this situation as he's talking to Jethro and sharing all that had done, talking about all the pain, all the, all the hardships. You know, I think of Moses all the times when it would have been tempting to, to just walk away, just quit. Maybe... When Moses first went to Pharaoh, and in confidence he says, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh basically laughs at him. And says, who is this God of yours? <laughs> and rather than letting God's people go, he adds more pain and work. He, he increases their burden. The, the, the opposite of what, of what Moses is hoping for. I wonder... In, if in that, Moses, in that moment Moses thought, man, maybe it's time to walk away. Or maybe when Moses had delivered God's people from slavery, Pharaoh eventually relented, lets them go, and then they get confronted with, the, with a sea before them, and they're trapped. And he's thinking, what, what can be done now, God? You, you, you free us uh, from slavery only to die at the hand of their military. Maybe right then he could have said, this is enough. It's time to go. Maybe it's after God parts the Red Sea and they're hungry and God's people are complaining and they want to go back to slavery. In fact, they were experiencing so much hardship that they wanted, it says they wanted to stone Moses. Uh, you know, if I'm Moses in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, all right, guys, I, I am trying to help here and you're wanting to... Stone me, I'm done. I walk away in that moment. There's only so much discomfort someone can experience. But Moses, he perseveres. Each of those moments draws Moses into greater dependence and trust in God. When the pain comes, and it will, may that draw you closer in to genuine, honest faith and walking with God. You know, oftentimes in our world, pain can feel like something that happens somewhere else. Pain is confined to another region of the world. Pain is confined to what happens in a hospital. Pain and struggle is an experience of others, and we can sometimes be lulled to think that it won't be a part of our story. Pain becomes something we maybe relate to emotionally through a movie, but fail to see it translate to our own life. It's much like, I think, 
going through some kind of flight simulator. Now recently, uh, Jack and I went on a, on a spaceship simulator. It simulated launching off into a rocket into space. And in that moment, it was so interesting, I'm sitting by my five-year-old Jack and, and his head barely went above the, the brace. And I'm thinking, oh boy, what, is he gonna be okay? Is this going to work out? And so we're in this simulator, and we launch off, and there's G-force, and it's pulling you. And, and I loved it, but I'm also nervous for my son. And I told him, I'm like, just close your eyes. It, it's going to be over. This isn't real. You know? It might feel real. It might look real, but it's not real. This will be over soon. Let's just close our eyes and endure. And sometimes pain feels that way. But, you know, eventually, it's not just a simulator. And we can't just close our eyes and say it's going to be over in a minute. But it can be to such extent that it will shape our future. And in those moments, when they come, which they will for all of us, whether it's sickness now or sickness down the road, whether it's pain and economic poverty, now or poverty down the road. Whatever the situation, our humanity will catch up to us and we will be faced with a situation that we cannot overcome. And when it does, may it draw us closer to God. May we persevere. May we not opt out. May we not run. But may we, in the wilderness, draw closer to the one whose power can overcome it. Living and leading in the wilderness calls us to invest in a cause greater than our comfort and to persevere when it becomes so uncomfortable. And lastly, we're reminded to live and lead within our limitations. Again, looking at Exodus 18, uh, Moses, in this situation, he's been doing much of the work, all of the work of providing counsel and perspective and teaching for God's people. And it says this, right after Moses and Jethro had worshipped God, on verse 13, it says, on the next day, on the next day, now, it's the, the author is drawing us, uses that term on purpose. He's setting it up to say, this is important. Moses and Jethro have just worshipped God, and now the very next day, see what happens, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Love it. Moses is sitting and caring and providing shepherding and care and discernment for all the people. Jethro observed this, and he says, What are you doing? And then, then in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out, both you and these people who are with you, for this is too heavy a burden for you. You are not able to do it by yourself. You know, Jethro observes the situation, sees Moses living beyond his limitations, and says, this isn't good. And here's the interesting thing. Jethro draws Moses back to dependence on God. You know, it's interesting in the ancient world, it was common for leaders, 
for kings and prophets. Leaders at the time were almost deified, whether it was Pharaoh or king. People looked to that person as the one who represented God, who was God, who pronounced wisdom and judgment and had the power to execute. And in the, in the Exodus story, God is wanting to communicate that he is God and he alone. Moses is merely raised up by God to lead his people out of slavery, but Moses is a human being like every other human being. Moses is not God. Moses has limitations. And here's the beauty of it. God, one of the ways in which he has chosen to work is in community. Jesus talks about this when he speaks to sending his disciples out in teams. Paul talks about this when he uses the metaphor of the church being a body. Throughout the Bible, God's people were always meant to depend on each other. And in our world that says you can do it, when you experience pain and crisis, depend on yourself. Rather than the wilderness teaching us to preserve ourselves, depend on ourselves, let's let the wilderness moment teach us to depend and trust in others. You know, it's interesting, we read in our text that Jethro was a Midianite priest. He, he wasn't even an Israelite priest. And Moses listens to him. He listens to someone who doesn't share his religious and cultural background. As Christians, we, listen, we can listen and learn from, from everyone. Moses also honors him. He hears him, and he corrects what he's done. Moses is teachable. He's not a fool. Moses listens and learns. In the wilderness, we need to be people that listen and learn from others. And Jethro had experience. He had led people. Moses listens to someone who has experience in the particular situation he confronted himself with. Moses listens, he honors, and he changes course. Friends, let's live and lead within our limitations. Let's listen to others, especially those who have background and experience in whatever the situation is. Let's learn from them, let's honor them, and let's act in wisdom and discernment, playing our part. Friends, just like Martin Luther and Christians and followers of Jesus in his day, just like the early church, we have been entrusted to love our neighbor and to commit to the flourishing of all in our present cultural moment and crisis. Let's take up the baton. Let's be followers of Jesus who invest in a cause that's greater than our comfort, who persevere when it's painful, and who live and lead within the limitations that God has set on our life. We are in this together. Let's be wise. Let's live by faith. Will you pray with me? Father, there's so much to pray for. So much. But in this moment, I just want to thank you, God. Thank you for being a God who entered into the pains of the world through your son, Jesus. 
to make a way for flourishing and uniting with you and with others. God, may the gift of your Son be our foundation. May it be our model. And may it be our hope that calls us to love people, to lead people, to care for others in a way that honors you. Give us discernment in the days ahead. May we respect and trust our public officials and our doctors and medical professionals. Be with them. Be with us all in the days ahead. It's in your Son's name and the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. God bless you.